Wait, so how, yeah, how did you like start in Italy and then end up in Russia and then Argentina? Uh, well, my parents were like super like Jesus freaks, but also like just had a travel bug in them. They just loved to like travel the world. And I think there's somewhere in the Bible, it said to like travel and spread the gospel, whatever you, you name it. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of TheUnce.com. I'm in one of those cooking ruts, and I kind of have been since the beginning of quarantine. I feel like I'm just eating the same thing over and over again. So if you have any good, like, 90% healthy recipes, please, I'm begging you, drop them in the Beleagle Immigrants group. I'm dying for some kitchen inspiration. Uh, No allergies, no restrictions. I'm not picky. I am thrilled to report that Andrew Bryant, a.k.a. Hullabaloo, is on the show today. This is one of my absolute favorite producers in the game right now aside from bill obviously calm down everyone but i mean he's one of bill's favorites as well they've got a collab on the wub ep that dropped on 19k last year and that's actually up on Bandcamp if you're looking for some first friday music to buy and uh, look at the timing on this if you're a patreon subscriber listening to this episode the day it drops the new hullabaloo full-length album habanero is out tomorrow If you're a freeloader, well, you're in luck. The album is already out now. Having heard all of it, let me just say it's fan-fucking-tastic. He's a brilliant, classically trained pianist, but it's filled with this brutal halftime and glitch and drum and bass. It's it's just wild. Go check it out. One One of my selections for album of the year, actually. Speaking of the Patreon, you're only a couple of clicks away from supporting the show, Making My Day. Fans get early access to episodes, bonus content, secret merch bundles, Discord roles, and more. Every little bit helps during these end times of no touring, and we're so thankful to all the fans who do support the podcast. Visit patreon.com slash Tunes to subscribe. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, and there's something for producers at every skill level to pick up. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's get on with Hullabaloo. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 yeah sick man um stoked stoked to have you on the podcast yeah me too thanks for bringing me on yeah um so i was doing this stream all morning with haywire he like wanted me to do a stream where uh i used like a new sample pack that he created to just make tunes or whatever on his on his twitch channel Uh um and everyone thought it was real funny like the way that i would transpose samples because all the samples were labeled with like the key or whatever. So it'd be like, I don't know, fancy chord progression, right. A minor, 140 BPM or whatever. <laughs> and I was working in F minor. So I'd look at the sample that was A minor and then I would like count on my fingers, like how to get to F minor. So I'd be like A sharp. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, yeah, you don't have the like keyboard 
Yeah, well, I mean, I have one next to me, but like, I don't, I wasn't using. I was just using, like, I always just use my fingers to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you use more of like the DJ uh, code wheel, right? Is that what you, I, I remember using that a little bit? Well, we yeah, were. so that that's called the Camelot wheel, there and um, basically what they do is they take the circle of fifths and they uh, assign a number to each fifth. So um, it starts with like twelve A, which I think is like A minor or something like that, and then a fifth up from that, which is maybe e or i don't know a, yeah e yeah so then e and then that's like one and then whatever's up from there a fifth is two and whatever's up from there a fifth is three and so on and therefore you, when you're mixing if you label all of your tracks like one two three four five like whatever they are mixing one to one or one to two or one to zero like just within one interesting uh, number of each yeah i never got used to that um well i just never had to use it but like i can see how it would really help if you're more of a less of a like music theorist or whatever but yeah it's it all just maps out on the keyboard if you get used to like kind of more of the the, the keyboardist way of thinking about mixing but yeah like, well that's kind of what i wanted to talk to you about um this was all like leading into some questions about this because you went to college for music right uh well i was in uh just like jazz course i guess but really i i emphasize in like just piano Im- improvisation in the end um, because I wasn't like the best reader. So I definitely like kind of steered it more just like hundred percent on the improvisational end of things. Mm-hmm. So I think I actually, I think they actually like changed the, uh, the title of my bachelor's to like piano improvisation or something like that. I'm not sure if that applies to everybody, but so I, was, I thought that a, was funny. You, you have a bachelor in piano improvisation. Uh, yeah. I don't think it has the <laughs> word jazz in it. <laughs> They were like, this guy's not a, he's not jazzy enough or something. I don't know. <laughs> so when you say reader, you mean just like sight reading? Yeah, sight reading. Like I can figure shit out after a certain amount of time. But um, yeah, the sight reading just always really just frustrated me because you have to get into it really early to, to make waves with that kind of stuff. Um, it's right, like kind of like learning a language later yeah, in life, right? Exactly. It's much harder than if you learn it when you're a child. Yeah, you'll, um, you'll always have an accent if you like learn a language uh, as an adult r- versus if you're like a kid, you'll you might drop the accent a lot. Didn't you learn a different language when yeah. you were a kid? Well, I actually was like born in Italy and I remember like learning Italian. I went to like first grade in Italy and shit, but I we I like lost Italian uh, when we moved to Russia. Don't I have crazy childhood, but uh we moved to Russia for like six months and I was trying to learn Russian. And I like remember learning, like I remember like learning about the alphabet and everything. And then we like had to dip Russia because of like some KGB shit or whatever. So, uh, yeah, we had to like flee the country. Um, cause of my crazy ass parents. But, uh, yeah, I lost Italian, didn't learn Russian, but then later on in life when I uh, got pulled from my high school, here in the United States, Reno, we went to Argentina or actually we went to Mexico for like six months and then went to Argentina and I completed high school in Argentina from like 16 to 19 or whatever it was. So you had to learn Portuguese or? No, uh, Spanish. Well, they call it Castellano there, which is, I think like, um, it's just like a different type of Spanish. It's not like Spanish from Spain, I suppose. I don't really remember why it's called Castellano, but 
Yeah. Spanish from Spain is kind of weird because they have that lisp. Yeah. Do you know why they have the lisp? I've heard um, the story I heard was the king yeah. story where like there was it's a king that had a lisp and he would just kill anyone who like made fun of him for it or didn't also talk that way or something. Yeah. So like we, when we were uh, in high school, I remember they would make fun of Spanish uh, people. They'd be like, and then do the lisp and stuff. And I was like, they speak like that? Like what the fuck? Yeah, man. I went to Valencia to teach uh, like yeah, a that's place right. of Incati. And yeah, they all call it Valencia. Valencia, and yeah, it's ba- hilarious. Barcelona. <laughs> and then when I discovered about the the king theory, I don't know if it's is it like set in stone. Like, is that really what happened, or is it just like I don't know? It's just yeah. I mean, I asked some people about it, and some people told me that was a story. And mm-hmm. then I would ask some other people about it and be like, "This is the story that I heard." And they're like, "No, that's totally bullshit." <laughs> it could just and be like, a fucking rumor, right? <laughs> it but. could be. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, who knows? It sounds like it could be bullshit. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I've never been to Spain. That's definitely one of, one of the countries I want to go visit when traveling is available. Right. But you speak Spanish? Yeah. Speak fluent Spanish. It's it's pretty rusty now. Like I haven't had to use it this entire time in the States. Like actually I did like a little bit of landscaping and I was working with a bunch of Mexicans and I was trying to practice my Spanish with them, but even their Spanish is super different. Like I, I can barely understand Mexicans. Wait, so, how, yeah, how did you, like, start in Italy and then end up in Russia and then Argentina? Uh, well, my parents were, like, super, like, Jesus freaks, but also, like, just had a travel bug in them. They just loved to, like, travel the world. And I think this somewhere in the Bible it said to, like, travel and spread the gospel, whatever, you, you name it. Um, it's... It's, it's hard to describe, honestly, because, like, like, the older I get, it's just, like, a completely different life that I went through, you know, as, like, a as a kid. And, like, I, I don't know anybody that has the same childhood as me. So it's, like, kind of hard to, like, relate it to something else. I guess, like, military kids kind of go through the same thing, right? Because they, they travel a bunch from base to base. So I guess it, it was kind of like that, you know. But instead, it was, like, like hippie-style, like, gypsy living out of a van, like traveling Europe kind of childhood. <laughs> but instead of being hippies, they were like massive, uh, like Jesus yes, freaks. exactly. <laughs> As you would call them. Yeah, I mean, because uh, like they weren't sponsored by a, a church, you know what I mean? Or not sponsored. Like, they weren't missionaries per se because it, it, they weren't like sponsored by a church. But I get, yeah, they were missionaries. Let's put it that way. Oh. Just kind of like solo missionaries. Damn, that's I mean, sick. We would, so uh, they tried to spread the word of God in Russia. Yeah, they like Russia, smuggled Bibles in Russia, and it was like a really big no-no to do that. They they <laughs> shipped Bibles in. Like they would like hide Bibles in a van and like try to get through the border with them. Is, <laughs> that yeah, is, is Russia like what is the main religion well, in Russia? So at the time, the Soviet Union was. I forget how many years it had disbanded, but or crumbled really. Um, I was there in 1999, so that was like, fuck. I don't know when the Soviet Union like crumbled, but it wasn't like that long after that I had gone. So it was still kind of like in a state of like, you know, chaos and confusion. That's why the KGB kind of took over um, mm-hmm. the police force and everything like that. But uh, yeah. 
it's it's a it's just like crazy to look back and and be like in the United States and like I'm just like a normal American but like have this crazy like childhood living in a van and shit. <laughs> so your parents are American though. And my dad's American and my mom is full blood Italian. And you were, so you were born here but then went to Italy. No, I was born in Italy in like near Rome, this oh, little fuck. port town called Civitavecchia. Huh. So. How did you end up getting American citizenship? Oh, well, it took a long time. Uh, I think it took like seven or eight years while we were in the States. And I, I came to the States when I was like eight years old. Yeah, it took a while. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sort of going through all that now, trying to get my green card and stuff. Oh, shit. And, really? Yeah. And slowly build my way up to being an American. And yeah, it's difficult, man. It's like, it takes a long ass time. Yeah, they, they like ask for expensive. these papers and then say like, oh, actually we need these other papers. And then you get those papers and they're like, oh no, those aren't the right papers. And they just throw you for a fucking loop. Yeah. Yeah. They, the UCSIS or USCIS or whatever it is, the, the visa giving company that deals with who can live in America and who cannot is the most arcane, like old ass system. There's a lot of systems that are so fucking arcane still. Yeah, you'd think you could just do it all on the internet, right? And like pay a yeah. fee and then like go to a meeting or something like that. But you have to do it in the craziest ways. Like you have to send papers in and fax a bunch of shit. And like, I don't know. <laughs> Faxing. <laughs> yeah, you have to use a fax Nobody likes fax these days. See what I did there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hard, hard fax. Oh shit, my cat's attacking me. Yeah, that's a cute um, ass cat. Where'd you get that? YouTube? Her, oh, I've, had, I've had YouTube for ages, but um, she... Her name's YouTube? Yeah. That's... What? Why? Uh, I've told this story so many times. It's because uh, when I first got her, I wanted to wake up every day and be like, what's up, YouTube? It's your boy, <laughs> Bill. Um, and then I did it like a couple of times and uh, got over it. So now I don't do that. And now I just have a cat named YouTube. <laughs> That's cute. But I think it's a good name. It's as good a name as any for a cat. More unique than like Snowball or something, right? That's the kind of shit. Like, if you named a human YouTube, that would make it like difficult for that human to get a visa because it'd probably like confuse the system into thinking that they were a company and shit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. What if you just named your child like um, YouTube Corporation or something (laughs) like that? That's fucked. Yeah, just name your child like something Incorporated or like something LLC. Just like fuck them up forever in terms of getting uh, immigration status anywhere. Um, yeah. So going back to the music thing, without having a keyboard in front of you, how how would you work out how many semitones to transpose something if you were going if you're looking at something that's like I don't know like A sharp minor and you're like all right shit I need to get this to like I don't know G G sharp minor or D sharp minor like how do you know in your brain to just count how many semitones without counting it on your fingers if you don't have a keyboard in front of you? Well. So I'm not as sharp as when I was in college, but it's it's basically just mental math. And I just picture a keyboard. And then since I'm a, I'm a keyboardist, I can just picture like you just said A sharp minor, right? So for example, if I wanted to know like the relative major from that A sharp minor, I would think like, oh, just a, a minor third up. And then that's going to be the same exact notes as the A sharp minor scale. So that would be B. Right. So I'm, I'm just like, I'm a keyboardist. So I just like 
count like A sharp to A, A to B flat, B to or B flat to B, and then it, like that's three semitones. And then like my hand, actually, I feel my hand like doing the scale when I do that, which is kind of weird. But it's right. it's How really many hours of keyboard. Do you think you had to play to to build that skill? <sighs> Honestly, I didn't even practice as much as uh, most of, of my colleagues or whatever um, classmates. But uh, I fuck, I, I figured it out one one time. But at least like, hmm. I don't know. Let's say I practice like three or four hours a day, like a hundred, like probably like 10,000 to like 20,000 hours, I would think, like in a four year course. That's what I'm thinking. Wait, so you didn't play keyboard at all before starting university? Oh, no, I did. So I, I thought you were just talking about in college. Oh, shit. Well, probably like, and I played a lot more when I was younger too, because I would just literally just had a, a Yamaha keyboard and I'd make like, fat beats on the Yamaha keyboard with like the 808 and then uh and it was fun because I would have like my bass line on the right hand and then the the drum beat on my left and that's kind of how I got into production honestly I was just like making beats on the Yamaha keyboard I forget what model I had but growing up but um yeah I just I would just jam for hours and hours every day I just love playing piano so much uh, so fuck, I'd probably say like 50,000 hours is a hundred, somewhere around there. What the fuck? What is the math on that? How old are you? 29. 29, right, 50,000 divided by, well, first of all, we need to work out days, right? So let's go like 29 times 365. So that's 10,585. So 50,000 divided by 10,585. Well, I started at eight years old is when I started Dude, learning that's, piano. That's 4.7 hours a day though yeah i don't if, pull 4.7 hours a day i mean like i'm saying like you zero exactly that'd be like pregnant boom came out crying put a keyboard in front of me started yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah no. but yeah i mean i guess i banged on the keyboard like when i was like three or four you know just like blah 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 blah, blah. but um that is so super hard to answer like, 20,000 hours or something. Yeah, yeah, probably around there. 20, so you started 30, when you were eight. So let's say 21 years. So 21 times 365 is 5,565. So let's say like 20,000 divided by 5,000, what did I say? 365, something like that. Oh, sorry. 565. That's you like lost three me, and a half hours a day from when you were eight until now. Hmm. Yeah. Probably. I've been not playing that much lately, especially because my piano is not at uh, my place anymore. But is there like some ten thousand hour rule? Like if you do something for ten thousand hours, you're a master. Yeah, I actually I heard that uh, quite a bit in the jazz program. Uh, they were like, "Yeah, you got to put in your ten thousand hours." And uh, I think what they meant by that was practicing like six to eight hours a day, just like running all your scales, going through everything to get warmed up would probably take you about an hour and then learning tunes would be like two to three hours and then you take a break and it would be like you know just this constant like uh cycle of keeping your hands busy and then that's the way you, you just get to the toppest level of playing which i just did not have the uh the stamina to do that to get you know amazingly good but you know i i, I turned some heads for sure like i thought um I was a pretty good keyboardist, but 
the uh, the reading just really just just discouraged me from from trying to be a pianist in real life. Right. So let's do ten thousand hours divided by like six. Then so that's if you played six hours a day. Yeah. Um, every single day. That's sixteen hundred and sixty-six days. So divide that by three hundred and sixty-five. That's like four and a half years. You could do it. If yeah. You there you go. Six hours a day. Yeah, and 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 fuck the classic the classical people. They would practice even more. They would practice like twelve hours a day, which is insane. You know, it, you I would see the same motherfuckers every day, like from six or seven a.m. to seven p.m. in their in their um, practice rooms. And I was like, damn, I I can't do that. <laughs> That's insane. Do you think classical players are like on average better than jazz players? Ooh, well that's that's a hard question to answer. Cause like, what do you mean by better? You know what I mean? Cause like, obviously classical people, um, aren't nearly as good at improvising. In fact, a lot of them, it's, it's like almost, we have different, uh, brains. I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of talked about it on Facebook. Uh, the other day I made a post that was like, do all creative people suck at reading or something like that. And it was actually inspired by one of your podcasts because I just wanted to find out, like, like why, why do I struggle at reading? And I feel like I'm very creative. And then I see this pattern with like creative people. But going back to the classical jazz, like I think if you use the same muscle in your brain a lot, like you're just gonna like really get good at that. And then you can't really compare that to like a classical person that's like not really good at improvising. Not to say that they can never get good at improvising. They're just, they're just not like naturally good at it. So they never strengthen that muscle in their brain. And then like they're really good at reading music. And so they just strengthen that. You know what I mean? Mm. How would you um, define creativity though? Like how would you define what a creative person is? Uh, I, I guess I would define it as like people that are able to maybe connect dots differently than than an average person i don't know like that like we uh, i mean there's even creative writers right and this is actually a good topic to go on in my in the facebook post because people were like well what about creative writers and then i was like well can they speed read like just because you're you know a writer and you're creative doesn't mean you're like super good at reading so i always thought that was you know like kind of a, a rebuttal to like you know, if, if creative people are, are bad at reading or not, which it obviously is not the case, but. Do you mean reading in general or reading sheet music? No, I mean like, yeah, reading sheet music, speed reading, like, uh, people that can just like read a book a week or whatever, you know, like I can't do that shit. Like I read in my head with a voice and that slows me down like 10 times to a lot of these speed readers, you know? I've been chatting about this a lot with um, a few people lately because I've actually try. I'm trying to get better at reading now because I have the same or I had the same sort of thing where I would just never read. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, it's it's definitely limiting to not read. I realize, and there's there's a lot of shit that's written down that's not like turned into a video or something, and there's like a lot of information that you just can't absorb as well if somebody tells it to you versus if you like read an entire book on it. Yeah. And, um, and it also just like uses your imagination in a way that isn't really paralleled anywhere else. Like what, like when you read a book, you just get this like weird imagination feeling, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it's not, it's not like watching a movie or anything else. Like you're really 
like doing two things at once with like this movie playing in your head if it's like yeah. a you know novel or some shit right um yeah i've gotten pretty okay at reading recently though i read uh in the last two weeks i've read uh, so what i do on sundays now is uh, a dopamine detox so i take the day off just like any thing like i don't use my computer i don't use my nice. phone i don't watch tv or play video games or anything like that so i just take the day off any of that shit and instead i just read now on on sundays <clears throat> and the last two sundays <clears throat> i've pretty much read a book on each of those days like so, a like a big ass book or like 100 pages kind of book or um well if two weeks ago i read a book called the disaster artist which is all about tommy wiseau who made the room oh okay uh and that's like i don't know 350 pages or something you read that in a week or sorry on on in a day yeah holy shit pretty much that's like a page every two minutes or something like that and you just read all day yeah i didn't stop reading all day that's crazy to me the other one i read was by this guy called thick nut han which is a pretty funny name but it's um what is it it was about the guy's name was thick nut han it was spelt n-a-h-t but i think it's pronounced <laughs> nut um, but yeah, man, I think like getting re- good at reading is not that difficult, but I, it requires a lot of patience, I find, because I found what I was doing or the issue, one of the issues I was having with reading is A, I would find it like difficult to comprehend things mm-hmm. um, because I would have to read it like a few times to understand the information. But the more I read, the better I get at that. And then the other thing is just like having the patience to sit there and read because it can sometimes feel a little bit boring. Or unproductive at first. Yeah, you feel like you're not being productive and then you're like, no, this is this is good for me. Like, this is what I need to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can feel unproductive. Exactly. But yeah, I don't know. I guess I kind of try to treat it like exercise a little bit. It's like I, sh- I just know I should do it. And therefore yeah. I like kind of force myself to try and do it. I've actually been kind of not creating nearly as much music and just focusing on my like physique and everything like that. Uh, just like trying to get fucking swole right now. It's, it's are, kind of are fun. You, um, are you lifting? Yeah, I've been uh, been getting those gains. Oh, it's only been like fucking a week or something. It's That's when you get like most of your gains, right? It's when you start lifting. Yeah, definitely. Because, um, you know, if you're just doing like a home, like, you know, body workout thing, like that's, I think that's the best for getting back into it, you know? Because like you have to be able to lift your body first, right? And then if you really want to like, get like noticeable distance or uh, gains or whatever and then you, you start lifting weights there's not, not really a substitute for moving heavy objects um past your body point i guess but yeah just it just feels good to like f- focus uh, like 100 percent on something that um i've wanted to ha- like i've always wanted to have like a good physique and and feel fit i don't know what it is but it's it's something that I kind of lost over the years and get, just got super skinny. And then I was like, fuck, I need to just get shredded again. So that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> also, because I'm, re- I'm in a really like transitional state right now. I'm about to move my studio in a room, which I'm super stoked about. Yeah, I've been getting back into lifting again recently, actually. Um, just good. I, do, I like it. Yeah, feeling strong is way better than feeling weak. Feeling weak sucks. It, it's It's something that like... I think as a producer, it's like a little bit, would you call it like a stigma or something? Like a producer that's like big, 
like I think there is kind of like a stigma, right? Like you don't really get taken seriously like a big buff dude that's a producer like is that even like even possible yeah i mean you just have to be good at time management right like slava mindex is pretty ripped but he's russian so yeah, <laughs> yeah russians just got, are just born ripped they're just born ripped man they come out with a six-pack um i don't know yeah i mean there is this like classic producer kind of um archetype right which is just this like sort of skinny yeah like, skinny like lanky fucking, dj yeah. persona which is like kind of what I, I became, you know, and then I realized I was getting back problems. I was getting like shoulder problems because my collarbone, I have like a sterno, what's it called? Sternoclavicular dis, uh, dislocation. And so it, the, the bone like goes over uh, one of the parts of my shoulder. And if I'm not constantly training it and pushing the bone back in, it like really, uh, it, like the nutrients don't get to my shoulder. So I have I've been doing like a lot of rotator cuff stuff and, and uh, stuff like that to try to amend that shit. But, you know, damn, that's crazy. Yeah. Twenties. Fuck. Are you in, are you in your thirties yet? No, but I'm about to be 30 in like five months, Fe- February. Yeah. I just hit 30, 32. 32. Yeah. And I mean, it's good, man. I, I like it. I think I, I think I'm more in touch with my body now than I ever have been. I actually, I'm in a similar, uh, like maybe I'm, I'm probably in a similar like mental, uh, like attitude with my life than, as you, I don't know. Like I felt like kind of weird and awkward up until like probably 26 or 28. And now I'm feeling like a way more in control of my life and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I just kind of get that sense from you too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I feel like <clears throat> I had the same. Yeah, I feel like everyone in their twenties, in their especially their yeah, early twenties, has like a shitload of anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> like, For real, just trying to figure shit out. Like, you don't really know what's going on. You just yeah, because you you've yeah. Just but how many people just, can you be like? Are you excited about your thirties? And like, how many people are like fucking yeah? Dude, I'm super excited about. I'm, my 30s. I'm excited about my thirties. I think yeah. I mean, right now is a weird period, but. Right. Yeah. The COVID thing has been like pretty good, I think, for figuring a bunch of these issues out, right? Like trying to better yourself and trying to yeah. learn a bunch of new skills and stuff like that. Like, for instance, through COVID, I haven't like made a list or anything, but I've learned a lot of new shit. Like, one, I started reading. Two, I started, I learned how to brew beer. Yeah. Um, I've recently started uh, doing like proper chess training with an international master. Yeah. I heard and a little bit about that with your Haywire. Um, podcast dude it's been sick um actually when you were talking before about uh how you can just like envision a keyboard and then you can kind of just uh transpose sort of around yeah. yeah you can just like transpose stuff in your head by sort of just visualizing a keyboard that's exactly how this international master talks about chess he was saying to me um like for instance i'll just i'll play a game right and as i'm playing he's like helping me analyze and then after the game, we'll go over it and analyze it even more. Uh, and after the game, he's like, all right, so the issue there was when you played like bishop to b3 or whatever, you know? And I'll be like, oh, okay. Um, I don't like actually remember playing that move. And I don't yeah. remember like what the position on the board was at that time. Uh, and he's he was like, oh man, I can like not only remember exactly like everything that happened in games i just play and figure out exactly where i went wrong and stuff but he he reckons he can remember games that he played like four months ago yeah that that's some like magnus level shit right there right 
Like, well, like how are they the same able thing to play? That you were talking about with like the keyboard stuff, right? It's like you just get so comfortable with it that you can just remember where shit is in there. Uh-huh. And like, I'm sort of like that with Ableton. If I have been working on a tune a lot and nothing is named and nothing is colored, I can still go in there and just know where everything is and kind Actually, of know that's like, a good, what's going on. That's a good parallel because like when I was younger, I wasn't fucking organized at all. It was, it was a fucking mess on like Fruity Loops. It was just random shit everywhere. And I like, it would take me a second sometimes to find like, oh, what, what was that like, you know, chain sound that I use and go hunt it down. But I always had like some mental map of, of some sort of where I put it and I would get close and then find it. So that's a, that's a good. Right. And even when you're like not, um, like when you're not looking at, ableton or looking at your computer or whatever like i could be sitting a hundred kilometers or a thousand miles away from my studio and i can still in my head imagine like what my desktop looks like and like what's in one of my ableton sessions and stuff like that yeah because i I just look at it so much everything is like your side chain and what you use on that on that uh that the the chain selector and all that shit yeah it goes deep man it's and you can just mentally navigate it like a map Right, and I think that that just comes from doing it a lot. But yeah, so I guess eventually when when you get as comfortable with a chessboard as you do with like a keyboard, then yeah, it becomes a little easier to remember these insane positions and I think all that kind of stuff. my problem with the chess thing, because I, I try to do the same thing uh, as far as like remembering what the fuck they were talking about when they were like, oh yeah, horse to B5 was a bad idea. And then I'm like, well, what, which, which horse? And like, but like... It, it's just the, the, the grid thing and then alphabet. I think it's the alphabet part that fucks me up. Cause I remember I'm not that great of a reader. I think I might have a, like a spectrum of, but it's just I might a be on the H spectrum on of, a, on a of chess uh, board. dyslexia. I don't know. Hmm. I just get jumbled up like A through uh, H, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Like I'm just not good with the fucking alphabet or, or words but numbers i'm really good at probably because mm. it's a set value from one through n- uh nine right like i'm all i'm very photographic so maybe that's why i'm better with numbers I'm not so good with the alphabet because there's just there's 27 right letters mm. so you can do this thing uh on chess.com it's like vision exercises where it'll throw coordinates at you like c5 or C6 oh yeah yeah, or, yeah i've done that one and yeah, and you just have to like click the squares, and that I can do like nineteen of them. Oh shit! Another. I think my record was like fucking fourteen or something. Yeah, for people listening who who don't understand what I'm talking about, basically it shows you a chessboard, and then it says C five, D seven, A eight, like it just or like B one. It you just gives you coordinates, and you, and you just have to click the square on the chessboard that it is, and then. Um, yeah, basically. Uh, are you after. are you faster with the mouse or with like on your phone with your finger? Have you tried uh, both? Probably, probably both. I mean, the the limiting factor is not how fast I can click it. The limiting factor is how fast I can figure out what square it's talking about. Mm, uh, sure. But yeah. yeah. Um, but I, th- yeah, I feel so, like you're pretty fast with your mouse. Like I've seen you produce, and your your accuracy is hella good. Yeah. What I'm saying though is that. Um, when it throws a coordinate at me, I'm still thinking for like a few seconds about where the square is that I need to click. So it's no, no, I know. But then, then when you figure it out, you have to like physically go to that square. 
And but I don't know. It's it's not that important, obviously. But yeah, that's like a millisecond or two on either device, I think. But yeah, it's been super cool learning that stuff lately. I've been trying to learn more about opening theory, but I found that to be super hard for the same reasons. Uh, it's just a lot to remember because you'll like learn the first like two to three moves as white, right? But then all of a sudden they're like developing threats against you, right? Like by attacking certain yeah. pawns in the center and you know pinning your horse to your king or your queen and like a bunch of stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you have to remember like what the correct move is to do in that very specific Right, all the situation. variables that could... Yeah, there's just so many... Yeah, different possible things that um, like just with a single opening. For instance, dude, check this shit out. I just got this book. <clears throat> it's um called The Complete C3 Sicilian. Oh, and my look how, God. Look how thick this book is. And this is just on one variation of the Sicilian. And there's about 100 variations of the Sicilian. So like this is just one like how big is this? This is like a fucking 600 page book on one line that's possible right, so it's like of, just on the, the the sicilian is black yeah of course that's but it's just the alapin variation of the sicilian sicilian so how so like, like how many moves in advance does it go like like nine moves or something or like no it's um here hold on it's like it just shows entire games that have used the alapin oh, variation games. of the okay. sicilian yeah because no, I, um, I i did study myself a little bit and i was studying the london system and i was mm -hmm. like the the guy that was breaking it down he he gives you like every variation every best variation that they have and then you like kind of memorize all of your possible um threats and stuff like that and then like let's say he fucks up here and then you you know you like put your pond out here so that you can start moving your your uh, horse out to do this trick and i don't know it, it's it, it was pretty in depth but not nearly as in depth as that book probably yeah, um, I'm trying to find this thing on Wikipedia right now. It was like every variation of the Sicilian and the list was insane, man. It's like, it's a list of, I don't know, like the like a hundred variations or something. The most popular one coming out of the Sicilian is the Nidorf. Uh, and that's just, that's just another variation of the Sicilian. But um, yeah, it's just insane that there's a 600 page book on just something so hyper specific. It's like if they specifically play. I know, and there's one hundreds of, of openings. It's just what, what's the um, the mathematical statistic after like ten moves? Something like a billion possibilities. I don't remember what it is, but I've heard a bunch of weird shit. Like by move six or something, there's more possible combinations in chess than atoms in the universe or something. <laughs> but I I don't know if that's uh, that sounds right. a little bit crazy. But I mean, that being said, though, it's like there's still like best moves that are popular moves so like that mathematical um number it's like it's like wow but it's also like it's it's probably a lot less than that in terms of like best possible move you know you're not just gonna like throw your you know a1 pond out after you go a or uh e3 or something like that yeah so i actually um yeah so so from uh the starting move there is 20 moves that you can make i think you can move each pawn twice and there's eight pawns so that's 16 moves and then you can move your horse out in two different directions each horse so that's four more moves so that's 20 uh and but yeah i mean obviously you wouldn't make after that, of those yeah. moves right it's yeah and then crazy. after that black has 20 responses 
but then white has depending on what you moved like another fucking 40 moves that they could possibly do or something but it's um yeah i, I watched a number file video on this there's a youtube channel called number file that i watch a bunch that's really good it just like breaks down a bunch of math stuff and uh <clears throat> they file. did one on is that a channel they, yeah it's a youtube channel they did one on chess and they i think what they used in their formula was basically saying that for every possible move in in a game of chess there's like three to five like sensible moves that you could make in response and then they did their math based on that and the the number was still insanely huge that they came up with uh, in terms of possibilities yeah I i think with chess like i mean and magnets kind of proved this like you know beating uh I forget the the world champion he did, but there was there was another chess player that all he did was like uh, memorize uh, computer moves, oh, like um, best Anand. There Anand. you go, yeah, Anand. And, yeah. and he basically beat him after he was improvising more with his uh, with his moves or intuition or whatever you want to call it, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah, that's a crazy thing that started happening in chess is that um a lot of grandmasters and stuff they their training revolves pretty much around memorization and just using um computer programs like uh what's what's it called like stockfish which is the one i think chess.com runs on and then the other one um deep blue which is the one that beat gary kasparov in 1996 and then also um alpha zero or whatever it is because oh, well i know the starcraft one sorry <laughs> no <laughs> yeah it's starcraft. Um, but there's it's like some engine, I think, they still have, they yeah. haven't figured out how to make a computer beat the top Starcraft players, though. Thank God, because there's oh, there's really? yeah, it's crazy because like there's too many um, how to say there's too many like variables that go into Starcraft. Like there's so many like tricks you can do and like um, just reaction time things that you need to be able to, to scout. And I don't know. I. I finally like feel like I'm way better at StarCraft finally, but the computer can't. What about like, Go ahead. can people hack on StarCraft? Because you How know, you like mean? in Counter-Strike, right? Like you can hack oh, getting aimbots. I've never really heard of any hacking in StarCraft. Um, yeah, I think it's more of like a, you know, Warzone, look through walls kind of shit. Uh, I, I don't know how you would hack... Like I actually no, there is. I'm sorry. There is. There's totally people that like can gri- get rid of all the fog of war and then see what they're fucking doing. And I've seen actually a couple, uh, a big like uh, YouTubers like break down how they know that somebody is hacking because they'll look at the replay and then they'll go to like a random spot in the map. And then they'll they'll undo the fog of war, and they're sure enough, their fucking army's there. It's like, well, how'd you? You wouldn't have gone to that part of the mini map just randomly for a second, you know? You had to be, have been hacking the fog of war or something like that. But other than that, there's really no other hacking you can do. But I mean, that is a big point of it. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't really know a ton about StarCraft. I used to play a lot of Counter Strike though, and that had a lot of hacking in it where people would use aimbots and walls and shit where they could just see through walls and they could, you know. Well, I, I, I play fucking Warzone now because the rest of the world plays Warzone, I feel like, or Call of Duty. What, or is, uh, what is Warzone? It's Warzone is just like a battle royale version of Counter-Strike, I would say. It's like you get, uh, you know, the circle 
closes in and you're trying to survive and get first with your team. Oh, it's uh, like PUBG. I don't know that one, but I'm not like a huge gamer. I just have like three or four games that I get addicted to and then that's it. (laughs) Yeah, for me personally, I just have not been interested in anything other than chess in a long ass time. That's good, honestly, because yeah, video games will take over your life if you let it, which I've been trying to fight back right now, actually. Mm, yeah technically i don't know if you would count um count chess as a video game or not well i i feel like i started to let chess rule my life a little bit um when i was like super into it for the short amount of time it was but i was just like fucking it's so accessible especially because you can play on your phone so i'd find myself going to bed at like 4 a.m you know, just playing game after game. And then the addicting part for me was like looking at like the possible moves with the computer and then just be like, oh, fucking, I'll try to remember that. You know, it was just very addicting. What did your um, ELO end up getting up to? Uh, I think right now, well, it depends which, uh, which uh, what do you call, um, minute bracket you're in, right? Because it's like different. Uh, I guess Blitz, Blitz? is the one that I play Let a lot see. of, which is, but Blitz is between one and 10 minutes, right? Uh, there's bullet and then there's blitz is, is actually, I think bullet is five or it's three to 15, I think is blitz. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and then bullet is like one to three, but fuck those games. Have you ever played bullet? Yeah. I actually was playing bullet Bullet the other day and I, I won a bunch of games. It's really tough though. I feel like it's, it takes a lot less skill or it's a different skill. Let's put it that way. Because it's yeah, like the meta game is basically not sacking your queen and trying to last more than a minute or less less than a, trying to run the other person's timer out is essentially what you're trying to do. Yeah, it, it, but see, you don't get penalized that hard if you do some dumb shit. That's what I'm saying. Like if you like get your queen sacked, you can still win if you just move really fast, which I think is I don't know, not as cool. But okay, so I'm looking here. What am I? I think I'm like 950 or something on Blitz. So I haven't broken a thousand. I I think I got a thousand once and then I fucking lost. But you're like at 1100 or some shit, like 1150, which is fucking crazy. Uh, Yeah, I I just hit 1100 in Blitz and I just hit like um, 1300 in Puzzles, which is like... Damn. Puzzles are sick, man. I I started getting into those a lot because the the guy who's teaching me, he was saying um, you should just do them as much as you can. Because that's kind of like the best sort of training you can do. Because essentially what you're trying to do is like figure out. It, it just shows you some like complicated position on the board. And you're trying to figure out how to exploit it to your advantage. And that's essentially like what you need to do in chess constantly. So um, yeah, every time you get a puzzle correct, your elo goes up by like 5 or 10 points. And every time you get one wrong, it goes down by 5 or 10 points. Yeah. Um, so I've gotten enough correct now that I'm like rated around 1300. Shit, now you're making me want to play chess. What if we just played a game of chess while we talked? No, that would fuck up the podcast. <laughs> yeah, 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 it wouldn't be. Sitting I, there. I'm thinking. Remember when we played chess at a show? That was hilarious. We were just, there was oh, yeah. SF. And we were just like playing a game of chess while somebody was playing. And I was like, this isn't right. We should be. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've thought about doing recently, though, because I want to get more into streaming is uh mainly because i just want to have more of like a routine during quarantine because i'm starting to feel like i'm not doing enough but yeah i want to get a routine with streaming and one stream a week i just want to do chess like maybe saturday nights or something i wonder if like if you stream chess 
like what the chat would be like? Would you just see a bunch of like letters and numbers the whole time? Go E4, go E4. Yeah, probably. Probably, <laughs> huh? That'd be annoying, just, I feel like. You probably just have to shut the, the chat out. I mean, I kind of do that when I stream Ableton. It's mainly just people being like, oh, you should put every, like, oh, you distortion put on Oh, you should put corpus on it. Put corpus yeah. on it. <laughs> Please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually mind it too much. Honestly, a lot of the time when I'm writing music on Twitch and somebody will say, like, oh, you should do this, it, it'll be... I'll do what they said, but then after I do it, they'll be like, oh, that's not what I meant, but that's sick as well. But just uh -huh. like them typing shit into the chat kind of gives me ideas, even if it's not the idea that they meant. Yeah, no, that that, that is cool. I, I actually had some, I don't have enough streaming like followers yet, but like I do have some streaming ideas, which has been like, I'll make a beat out of like a vine or something like that. And then I'll get like, uh, just keep it like super open while producing and, and taking feedback and uh, and ideas. I think that would be really fun. I don't know. Like what you were saying, you, you do some of the ideas, but I'm talking about like you wait till you find like an idea and then you act off of it versus like you're just kind of producing and then says, says, uh, somebody says like, oh, you should put erosion on that or not. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying not to use erosion so much lately because it, it just has that like classic sound that everyone has been rinsing yeah. for a few years now yeah it, it got out of fucking hand real quick and it yeah, was like nobody was doing it like corporate it, it was so thin and and just kind of like there was nothing else to complement the noise like it's one thing to have a fat like white noisy bass on the downbeat and then you do some like crazy shit after it and i'm like keep doing that that's sick but if it the whole bass line is the it's it's just it it really uh gets annoying to me at least i don't know did you say corporate or culprit well both of them but culprit yeah he culprit, has like right. those crazy textures that i feel like nobody can fucking reproduce yeah yeah he layers more interesting stuff i think than just regular noise a lot of the time but i think um yeah those very low sine wave bases with the noise on top yeah has this effect of like the speaker cone being fucked up it sounds like the speaker cone is like rattling and broken Oh, you know what that reminds why. me of? I don't know if you ever saw this video, but it was like Noisia doing like a, a spoof video. And it was like, they had like a glass with like a fucking tissue in it. And then they like, well, you didn't know this yet. And they were like, we're going to show you the secret to Noisia sound design. And then they like go down under and it's just like them with a glass and a tissue in front of a sub, just like... <laughs> it's so fucking funny you need it I'll, I'll send it to you but it was it came out in like 2006 or some shit yeah and they also have like the fan and the piece of paper oh yeah i don't think i've seen that one or maybe it wasn't the same video but i don't remember that part but i just remember the sub with the cup and the tissue it's so too funny so i i did a similar thing once with like a shaver and a guitar and i had like uh. my guitar and i was like attaching the shaver to like the guitar and stuff so it was like vibrating the strings and doing all sorts of weird shit and you can get some weird like like yeah. metallic resonances out of it and stuff and that can be i think cool, um uh freaking oh my god i'm dropping his name right now but he did the the song bad bots or something like that oh uh, uh, billane, billane yeah he, he had that that video of him it was a similar thing where he had like a string right and and like a power tool and he went through the whole process of how he made was it bad bots or something like that bat bots yeah bat and manifold yeah. yeah 
yeah, that was like pretty, I don't know, revolutionary or something, or maybe he was one of the first to like do a video on it. <laughs> yeah, that was a good video for sure. Yeah, Bill Ayn's production is insane. He's, he's so fucking productive, dude. It's crazy. He's like, really productive and he's always like trying to push the boundaries a lot by doing a lot of integrated visual audio stuff. And he's yeah, sick. he's a really hard worker, that's for sure. Where does he live again? I want to like go to that he country. He lives in Bosnia. Bosnia. Damn. Yeah, it's like a war-torn Eastern European country, I think. I don't know a whole lot about it. But yeah, I was, uh, yeah I'd love to go check it out. I've not spent any time in Eastern Europe. I, I haven't really spent any time in Europe other than Spain and the UK, I guess. Well, I, I guess I haven't really as an adult. Definitely all as a kid, I was in Europe. Um, I guess I went back to Italy when I was 20 for one of my brother's uh, weddings but other than that like all of the traveling that I say that I did was all just like following around my fucking parents and siblings <laughs> so it's very different but I you know I still got to see a lot like after I was born in Italy I like went to Romania for four years and kind of remember some shit about Romania when I was really young but yeah I guess it's I mean it, it was good for me in terms of uh like worldview or, or empathy or whatever but definitely sucked like moving a lot as a kid didn't appreciate that yeah i feel that you do yeah. you, you moved around when you're when you're a kid or uh a little i mean like i grew not through a lot of different countries but i moved a lot in australia, in australia word yeah i lived in like a ton of different spots um that i guess doesn't have the same kind of effect because i wasn't like dealing with a shit ton of like culture shock and well, it's, like at the end of the day, though, it's just like having to restart your friend group every year or whatever. I think that, that I did have to do, yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's a shitty thing to do for sure. Yeah, it's funny to watch my, my oldest brothers like grow up like at exact opposite of, of what he went through. Like, you name it, you know. Well, he was the, the oldest of six. He has one kid, you know. We, we grew up poor in a van. He's like doing well with his businesses and has like blocked out Audi and shit. It's, it's pretty funny to watch. Yeah, but, nice. Um, cool, man. Well, um, I got to bail because uh, it's almost 5.30. I got to go oh, start word. cooking dinner. What are you going to eat? But I'm going to eat salmon. Salmon. Nice. I've yeah. been eating uh, smoked salmon for my breakfast. It's the best. With like bagel and cream cheese? or I do goat cheese, smoked salmon, and then like a... a what are, you, what are those biscuits, Italian biscuits? I should know this, but I'm blanking right now. But like a little Bis cracker, like the bruschetta. Biscotti? There you go. Biscotti. Bruschetta. 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 Oh, that's go. like a, that's not a, that's bread, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's just baked bread, I guess. But yeah, that's my breakfast. Nice. Cool, man. That sounds great. Yeah, I should eat more goat cheese. Oh, by the way, I basically stopped drinking now too, which is sick. But, uh, but you still brew beer? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I fucking hit hats off to that. That's cool. Yeah. That's like really uh, using beer brewing as an art form versus just to have a bunch right. of beer around. <laughs> yeah, I actually really like brewing beer. But, and yeah, fuck. I mean, drinking it is good too, but I, I'm trying to like very heavily moderate my yeah. drinking, which has been going good. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, thanks a lot for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, I hope I wasn't too much of a big fool, but you know. That was, that was really fun. Get to chat you one-on-one, -on -one especially. Yeah. yeah, fuck yeah. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, you too, man.
Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you. I'm a